welcome again, everybody, and uh, good to see you. Welcome, everybody, watching online and at the Montrose building. Uh, thanks for taking the time to gather together and be together as a church. Grateful for that, and uh, good to see you all. We are starting a new series this weekend uh, that I'm excited about called Down to Earth, and we're using this series as we kind of jump into the Christmas season. So uh, I love the Christmas season, most of us do, and I love a lot of what happens at the Christmas season, even though uh, a lot of what happens at Christmas is sometimes overly spiritualized or romanticized or even idealized. Uh, I actually don't think that's all bad. Like, I, I think it's good that we look at the, the story of Jesus and really try to draw all of the spiritual significance out of that. I think it's a good thing. And even like the home for the holiday stuff and it's Christmas, let's not be jerks to each other stuff. I, I think it's good. I think it's good to like every once in a while look and say, let's, let's try to be the best version of ourselves. you know? And I'm like, I, I can get excited about all that and think that there's actually value in it. In this series, I wanna talk about how Jesus shows up in real time, in real life right now. And I wanna kinda of talk about the practical side of it. So I'm not trying to like undo those other things. I think they're valuable. This would be like another part of it that I wanna talk about. And I wanna talk about why Jesus showing up on earth, stepping out of heaven, coming to earth, putting skin on, why that's important and why that shows up like in our everyday life and how that shows up in our everyday life and what Jesus was trying to accomplish kind of in, in all of that process, right? So you guys know, hopefully, the Christmas story, uh, the, the one that we usually talk about the most, the account we usually talk about the most is in Luke chapter two. If you got a Bible, it's page 832 there. And I'll just read it with you real quick because I think it's important to look at. So Joseph and Mary are traveling. An angel had come to Mary, said, hey, you're gonna have a miraculous uh, birth. So Jesus was born of a virgin. Joseph was her fiance, but they had not been married yet. And she was pregnant at the time that they're traveling here in Luke chapter two. Verse five, Joseph took Mary with him down to this town to pay his taxes. So he took Mary with him to whom he was engaged. She was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, bring good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. 
And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord's told us about. So they hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everybody what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as the angel had told them. And that is one of the accounts of the Christmas night, the historical record of it, that night when God, Jesus, stepped out of heaven came down to earth, he entered the human experience. I like to say it's God with skin on. And when Jesus did that, what he did was a ton of stuff, but one of the things that he did was he made a way for us to understand him. Like God is so far above us, so beyond our thought processes or our comprehension, but we can kind of get our head around Jesus because he had skin on, because he lived in the human experience. And he walked kind of the pathways that we would walk. And part of what God was accomplishing by giving his one and only son was allowing that to happen so that we could understand God, so that we could know what God was like, and so that we could interact and talk and live with him. And a lot of the Bible is about that. A lot of the Bible is looking back at that baby, that event, Jesus was skin on and helping us to understand his heart and his mind. And as we understand who Jesus is, Christmas makes sense, but then God makes sense and our life makes sense in real time, real life right now. So this weekend, what I want to do is we kind of jump into the series is I want to look at a couple of places in the Bible that lay out what God kind of was thinking, what was on his heart and then lay out how he can relate to us, what his down-to-earthness, so to say, does for us and helps us to understand, all right? So the first place I want to show you is this. This is John chapter 1, verse 14, and this is talking about Jesus. So the Word, the Word is another name for Jesus. So the Word or God or Jesus became human and made his home among us, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So one of the things that the Bible says that happened that Christmas night, that first Christmas night, was that God put skin on. So Jesus came down and he became human, fully human, fully God, and he made his home among us fully immersed in the human experience. And he came to be with us. He stepped out of heaven so that he could be with us, make a home among us, not because he didn't understand us, but because we didn't understand him. And so he put that skin on and entered the human experience what was he thinking? What was like his heart and his mind when he did that? Well, the Bible tells us he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So God stepped down so that we can know him. He enters the human experience, makes his home among us. And what's God like? What's Jesus like? What's he thinking? Well, here's a description. He is filled to the brim with unfailing love and with faithfulness, unfailing love for us, and with faithfulness 
to us. So if I was trying to understand Jesus, I would want to understand those two things about him. No matter what he says, no matter what he does, no matter how he speaks into my life, his motives behind those things is an unfailing love and a faithfulness to journey through life with us, right? And that's part of what was happening that night in that manger when that baby was born of that virgin. And Jesus stepped down and put that skin on. Now another place that gives a description of God and what he's like and how that shows up in our life is in the book of Hebrews. So the writer of Hebrews says this about Jesus. He says this, so then, since we have a great high priest who, is in, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Right? So let's start to put this picture together. We have a God, Jesus, who put skin on. He stepped out of heaven, came out of earth, put skin on. He did that to live amongst us, not because he didn't understand us, but because we have trouble understanding him. And his heart and his mind, his motives are driven by an unfailing love and faithfulness to us, love for us and faithfulness to us. And then the writer of Hebrews says, you know what else is fascinating about him? This Jesus understands our weaknesses because he's been tested or faced all of the same testings that we do, yet did not sin. When Jesus was in the wilderness and he was being tempted or tested by the devil, he was tested in all of the same ways that you and I are. He is tempted in the same ways that you and I are, yet he did not sin. Now, if I was trying to help you understand what God was like, I would look at those two passages and I would combine that with what he did with Christmas and I would say, well, this, this is what God is like. God wants to know us. God wants us to know him. So he entered the human experience so that he would make sense to us. But he's motivated by an unfailing love and faithfulness toward us and he understands us because he was tested in all the same ways that we are. And I would want you to know that about Jesus, right? Now, that's a really, really big deal because what that means is that Jesus can understand our temptation, he can understand the things that would draw us away from God, and that means that we don't have to fake it with Jesus. We, in essence, can be ourselves and come to him as we really are. I say it this way sometimes. Jesus is not a hide your beer guy. You can be your, yourself. Now, let me explain that. I'm a hide your beer guy. So I've been a pastor a long, long time, and one of the things that I've learned about being a pastor is that whenever I show up to any party, I kill the party. And when I walk in, I'll walk in, and people realize Pastor Jeff's there, and the first thing they'll do is hide their beer, 
They'll put it behind their back. I'm like, hey, you must have Diet Coke behind your back. Why else would it be behind your back? And they'll look and they'll be like, oh, the pastor's here. The holy guy's here. I hide my beer. And then it's some version of forgive me, Father, I have sinned here. I'm like, I'm not a priest. But anyway, and that'll start every time. It's like I, I, they'll hide their beer. I had a friend over uh, working on a project at our house a few months ago. And he brought another friend with him to look at this project that we had. And his friend was a Captain F-bomb. You ever meet a Captain F-bomb? Like every other word, they're just F-bomb and they don't even hear themselves doing it. Well, in the process of us looking at this project, his friend found out that I'm a pastor. And when he found out that I'm a pastor, what happened was this. Every about 30 to 45 seconds, he would apologize to me for using the F-bomb. He'd be like, pastor, I'm so effing sorry I effing said that, <laughs> right? And then just on and on, I know you're a pastor. I'm effing. And so Captain F-bomb was just in this boundary until our mutual friend stopped him. And our mutual friend said to him, you don't have to be that way around Jeff. You can be yourself. And then he relaxed, see? And he found out that I'm not a hide your beer guy. It's okay. Jesus is not a hide your beer guy. He is a guy who has unfailing love and faithfulness to you, and he understands your weaknesses. He's not repulsed by them. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm going to put a statement on the screen, but before I put it up there, you're going to read it, and then you have to let me explain it. Is this a deal? Is this a deal? Is this a deal at Montrose? Okay, right? So here's the deal. So I'm going to put it up there, but you have to let me explain it. Ready? Here's the statement. Ready? Jesus does not stand in judgment of our temptations. He understands them. Jesus does not stand in judgment of our temptations. He understands them. Now, what I did not say, I did not say that Jesus doesn't stand in judgment of our sin or that it doesn't matter how we act. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we believe. I did not say that. I did not say that we will not all stand before God in judgment one day because the Bible specifically says that we will and Jesus is that judge. What I did say was that Jesus does not stand in judgment of our temptations because he understands them. He has been tested or tempted in all of the same ways that we are, yet he did not sin. Right? Now, Jesus has gone through what we've gone through in our temptations. Temptations are not about drugs and alcohol and sex and material things. Th those, are, those are outplays of temptation. In the core of all temptation, you're going to find the exact same thing. And this were the exact same ways that Jesus was tempted. At the core of all temptation, you're going to find this. Temptation is always going to involve us doubting God's unfailing love and his faithfulness to us. That's, that's at the core of all temptation. I'm going to doubt if God really loved me, why would he restrict me? 
if God really loved me, why wouldn't he let this play out? That's gonna be at the core of that temptation. And his faithfulness to us. I know that God said, if I give my life to him in this way, this is the promises, but I'm not quite sure I believe that, so I'm gonna do life on my own. I'm gonna walk away from God. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm tempted to not trust his unfailing love and his faithfulness to me. And when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was being tempted by Satan, that's the exact way that Satan tempted him. He was like, Jesus, are you sure your dad loves you? Because you haven't eaten in 40 days. Jesus, are you sure that your dad's gonna provide for you because he hasn't provided you so far in the last 40 days? Jesus was tempted to doubt his father's unfailing love and his father's faithfulness to us. And Jesus would look at us and he would say, I understand that. You're tempted not to trust my unfailing love. And you're tempted not to trust my faithfulness. And when you're tempted in that way, Man, I completely understand. I've walked a mile in your shoes. Jesus does not judge our temptation. He understands being tempted. And he understands the draw. And he understands the questions. And he understands the worry. And he understands the uncertainty. Because he wrestled with those himself. Now, he never sinned. So he didn't give in to them but he sure knows what those things feel like. And that's a big deal to understand about God, that he's not a hide your beer guy. He understands what you're wrestling with and he understands what you're going through because at its core, because all temptation is kind of the same thing, he understands what it's like to be tempted not to trust his unfailing love and not to trust his faithfulness, right? Now, understanding that about Jesus in real life, real time right now, changes a whole bunch of things. Because most people assume that Jesus is absent in our weaknesses, and that's why there are weaknesses, so most people assume, if I'm struggling with a temptation, if I'm struggling with a sexual temptation, I assume that the reason I'm struggling with that temptation is because God doesn't wanna be anywhere near that. If I'm struggling with an addiction, I assume that the reason I struggle with that weakness is because the last person God ever wants to deal with is an addict. I assume if I'm struggling with greed, that God, the reason that I struggle with greed is because God is so far away from me in my struggle with greed because he doesn't like greed. We would assume that our weaknesses are our weaknesses because God doesn't want to be near our weaknesses and that's why they're our weaknesses. But Jesus came down to earth to make his home among us, motivated by unfailing love, and motivated by faithfulness because he understands our weaknesses. He faced all the same test. 
And when we're struggling with our weaknesses, it's not that God is repulsed by your weakness, it's that he knew you needed him in your weakness because you are weak. So he put skin on, showed up in a way that could make sense to us, went through the test we've gone through so that we could trust his unfailing love and his faithfulness in the moments that we need them the most. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Because if we don't understand what Jesus is really doing and what Christmas really is and what he's really up to, then we'll make all of these false assumptions about why he showed up in the first place, right? Two favorite verses in the whole Bible. John 3.16, the famous one, the one that saw all the football games. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Probably then, to be honest, my favorite verse in the Bible is the next one, John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why did Jesus show up? So we could get our head around him. What motivated him? His unfailing love and his faithfulness. Because he understands our weaknesses and knows that we need him. Now, if I don't know that, I can make all kinds of false assumptions about God. I might believe that God showed up to exploit my weaknesses. I told you, you know, you're supposed to be faithful. You're supposed to be faithful. All I got to do is dangle a pretty girl in front of you and there's the end of your faithfulness. You're supposed to be generous. You're supposed to be generous. All I got to do is dangle a new truck in front of you and there goes your tithe money. That God came to exploit us. We might believe that God came to expose us. Hey, buddy, I know your heart and mine because I'm God. I don't look on the word appearance. I look on the heart. I can read your mind. I know what you're really doing. Just wait till I bring that to the light. Then what will people think about you? We might believe that God came to prosecute us. I'm keeping a list. I'm checking it twice. I know what's going on. You smoke, you drink, you chew, you date girls who do, and you cheer for Michigan. Guess where you're going? But Jesus, who came to earth to make his home among us, motivated by unfailing love and faithfulness, understands our weakness and did not come to condemn, but to save. Because he knew that we needed him. And understanding that about Christ, and understanding that motivation, clarifies our relationship with God. You ever had a miscommunication? Been confused and frustrated? And then after working at it and understanding it, you have an aha moment that makes sense. 
I did this a few years ago with my dad when he was still alive. My dad got sick when I was little. He was 48 when he had a heart attack, 49 when he had a massive stroke. I was 12, so I grew up with dad being sick. And he kind of lived that way. At the end of his life, he and my mom moved in with Heidi and I and the kids, and we took care of him. About probably, I don't know, two or three years after his stroke, we sat down with dad, my brother did, and said, dad, do you think you should be driving? Now, he's in his early 50s. But dad, because of his stroke and some of the other things that were going on, like dad would have, like, he'd like black out. And like he'd just be gone for like 45 seconds, a couple minutes, and then he'd come back and didn't really know what was going on. And so we're like, Dad, like that, that's a big deal when you're driving a car. Like should you be driving? And my brother had the conversation with him. And my dad at that time, he turned over his keys. He's like, you know, you're right. I shouldn't be driving. I don't want to hurt somebody. My brother, uh, my brother was eight years old and he was killed in a car accident. And uh, uh, somebody hit my parents. My brother hit his head and he died. And so my dad was real sensitive about car accidents and things like that. And, and so he turned over the keys. So life goes on. My dad really didn't drive when I was growing up. That didn't happen a ton. They move in with us. And dad didn't drive like usually. But once in a while, Clarence would get squirrely. And he would sneak the car out. He's like a teenager. And he would sneak the car out. And, and the hotline would go out to the siblings of my mom. Your father took the car. And like somebody had to go talk to dad. Mom sounded like that a lot. And somebody had to go talk to dad. Like dad can't take the car. And this has happened a few times over the course of his life. Well, one time when he was living with us, my mom was in the hospital dad took the car and my sisters found out your father took the car you know and it sounds just like my mom and and the, the, and they said you go talk to him Jeff you got he lives in your house deal with it and so I'm like I got home from the office I went and sat down with my dad I was like hey dad anything happened today he's like no nothing happened today I was like nothing at all he's like no nothing at all I'm like any little detail that you're leaving out of your story right now he's like eh. and finally he goes I ran to the hardware store and I said, did you run, Dad, or did you drive? And he's like, I drove to the hardware store. I'm like, Dad, you took the car. He's like, I took the car. And I said, Dad, you know, we've talked about this. Like, you can't take the car. I can't do take the car. I'm a grown man. And I was like, well, Dad, you, you black out. And so what, what if you would have blacked out? We've had this conversation many times. And well, you black out. Well, this particular time, Dad was agitated, and I was kind of impatient. I was like, Dad, you just can't take the car. And he's like, I can do what I want. I was like, Dad, it's dangerous. I know how to drive. I've been driving for 60 years. And like, I didn't say you didn't know how to drive, Dad. I just, it's not wise to drive. Well, I can make my own decisions. I'm not making a decision for you, Dad. I'm trying to help you think through a decision. Like, I'm not sure this is something you should do. Well, I can, I know what I'm doing and this is ridiculous and I'm a grown man. And, and I was getting frustrated with him. I'm like, Dad, you're, you're making, like, this is hard enough. Like, don't make it harder because you want me to hide the keys or disable the car because that's what everybody else wants me to do. I'm trying to have an adult conversation with you. I said, why didn't you call Heidi? I don't want to bug Heidi. You're not going to bug Heidi. She's, she's offered a thousand times taking places. Just call Heidi when you need to go to the hardware store. I don't want her putting the kids in the car disrupting her day. She doesn't, strapping the kids down is a blessing for Heidi. So like, I, you're not going to like, I'm not taking her to the car. And, and we're like arguing back and forth and it's kind of, 
escalating. And I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? And he looked at me and he goes, I'm not asking Heidi. I'm like, why not? Why are you making it so complicated? And he looked at me and he goes, because it's my fault your brother's dead. And I was like, what? He thinks it's my fault your brother's dead. And what are you talking about? Well, I should have never had him in the car that night. And he went on to tell me, my dad used to be a volunteer firefighter, and they went out that night because they were getting new uniforms, and he wanted his new uniform, the weather was bad, so he loaded the kids up, got the uniform, they were headed home. My mom and dad were stopped at a train, and actually a drunk driver rear-ended them. It was a devastating accident for a lot of people, and for my family, my brother was killed, and my dad, 45 years later is looking at me saying, it's my fault your brother's dead. I think, Pop, what, how can you say that? Of course, you, weren't, you were stopped for a train. And he looked at me and said, I should have, if I hadn't have been selfish that night, I would have never put your brother in the car and we would have never had the accident and I wouldn't have lost him. And that's why I won't ask Heidi. I don't want her to put your kids in the car because of me. And what went from like tension and frustration, when I understood my dad's heart he made sense to me. In his mind, he was trying to protect me from the pain that he went through because it would scare him if I ever had to suffer the loss of a child. So he made sense. Jesus is trying to make sense. So why did, why, did, why did he step out of heaven and come to earth put skin on? To make sense. Well, I don't understand all he's saying is all these rules and all these things, yeah, but you understand his motives, it, full of love, unfailing love and faithfulness. Well, he's God. I'm gonna, well, he's, he's human. Have you ever faced what I faced? Actually, he has. Just maybe not the way you faced it, but it's actually all the same. He really had to struggle through the temptation to doubt his father's unfailing love and faithfulness. He's not here to expose you or prosecute you or condemn you. He's here because he knows, because he's been there, that you need him. When? In your time of temptation. We've talked a bunch about Hebrews chapter four. We've talked about 14 and 15. So that's the... So then we have a great high priest who's entered heaven, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
Let's hold firmly to our faith. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. We've talked a lot about that. The very next verse, I love it, right? So Jesus is in our heaven, he came down to earth, unfailing love, faithfulness, understands our weaknesses, tempted, tested in all the same ways we are. So what does that mean to me? Real life, real time right now. Like what am I supposed to do, right? Verse 16. So, because of all of that, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. See, when I'm tempted and I'm struggling and I'm anxious and I have doubts, when I don't understand or trust God's heart, I, I want to run away from him. Frustrated. Dad, what's your problem? I want to run away from him. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, actually, if you, if you could really get your head around Jesus and why he's here, he's not here to condemn you. He's here to help you because he actually understands. You don't run away from him. What you do is you bust into his room. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And what will happen when we're there? When I show up with my temptation and my sin and my brokenness and my anxiety and my doubt, what am I gonna get from God? There we'll receive his mercy and we will find grace to help when? To help us when we need it most. When I'm in trouble, I bust into the throne room of God. God, I'm in trouble. I, I'm on the verge, like I, I'm, I'm a click away from being swallowed by sin. And instead of assuming that that is a place that God doesn't want to be, and you're one click away, I don't even get that close, I'm, I'm, 10 clicks is too close. Instead of assuming that's a place that God doesn't want to be, the writer of Hebrews is like, no, that's exactly where God wants to be. And I bust into his room, and I'm like, God, I'm about ready to blow it. And I need your unfailing love and your faithfulness because when, like on day 39 of the 40, when you were about ready to blow it, I'm right there. Can you help me at this moment that I need it desperately? And Jesus would look and say, yeah, this is, this is why I came. Listen. I understand, and I love. I'm so glad you found your way to me. Jesus coming down to earth is an invitation from him to you to invite him 
into our humanity. I need help. I know. I need mercy and grace. It's all yours. I have been unfaithful and unloving. I never am. I get it. Come in here. I can invite Jesus into my temptation. I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling to stay afloat. I'm struggling to stay on the wagon. Jesus, help me. Because I'm tempted to believe you're not enough. Been there, done that. Here I am. And what you receive from me is mercy and grace. I invite Jesus into my doubt. Jesus, you're just like hard under, I mean, eternal God, create, good night. The Bible, I, like, it's a big book. I, I don't, I don't know what I think. I'm not sure of it. I invite him into that. I gotcha. When I was in the wilderness by myself, 40 days. Gotcha. What you'll receive from me is mercy and grace. I invite Jesus into my fears and anxieties, into my questions. Why do you have me here? Where are you? What is this supposed to be? I'm scared to death. I am a bundle of stress. Gotcha, man. Like, I know that. In the wilderness, when I was thinking about being crucified, I know that. And I know you need me. So I came down to earth. And in that lowest of points, in those darkest of moments, in those deepest of temptations, busting in, I need you. And what you'll get from God is him saying, I know that. You'll receive mercy and grace from a God who understands, who is motivated by unfailing love and faithfulness, who put skin on and stepped out of heaven and showed up in a manger. Yeah, it works. And in real time, in real life right now, like Christmas is like a deal. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing that God really wants us to understand because it's the thing we need. And it's the gift he gave. Jesus, would you help us with this?
Would you help us with this, Lord? I am convinced that the hardest thing to believe about you is that you love us. Lord, and we've been, we've assumed, or maybe we've been taught that we earn your love, we build credit for your love, we, and just the idea that you just lavish it. And that our humanity is not something we hide from you. It's actually something we kind of present to you. And that you enter into that place with us and help us and change us and free us and forgive us and lavish your mercy and grace on us. Jesus, if you could start to help us believe that, in our minds and in the recesses of our heart where we're just convinced that this one last secret we need to put behind our back. And to truly help us understand why you say what you say, what you mean. And to trust your heart and to act on it. God, in these still moments, would you meet us in these deep places? Would you let us begin to receive what you want to freely give?